0: reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. And it's time for another week, another broadcast, another podcast of Reform This. It's your faithful American Muslim Patriot correspondent. Brings to you every week the topics that very few want to cover and let alone from the American Muslim community that are willing and able and wanting to confront the issues that we need to, to get beyond the smoke, the fake news, the the illiteracy of folks when it comes to jihad, when it comes to political Islam, when it comes to the threat, when it comes to the things that need reform. And every week I try to find those little topics and big topics that are on the news that have lessons that we can learn, have... Teaching points that may have been missed, and the take home take home points that you can take to the dinner table and begin having conversations with your loved ones and with others that are ignoring the reality first, the Iranian media every week we do a little bit now lately of what's happening in Iran, Iraq, against the Shia theocrats that are trying to destroy Iraqi democracy that have basically imperialized Iraq and Syria and Lebanon in addition to the country of Iran and are on their heels and falling back because of the revolution of the anti-Islamists, the secularists, the freethinkers, the liberals, the feminists, the secularists, the atheists, whoever it might be that are not Islamists. There was a TV host on the main Iranian television station that went on in Farsi at ofoghtv.ir. And this week she said she called for ethnic cleansing against those that are protesting the regime, wearing her black hijab, wearing her black cover from head to toe. On live TV, she told protesters, if you do not enjoy the rule of Islam in society, then collect your belongings and leave. This is what Islamists tell their citizens. They say that they're putting in not their rule of tyranny, not the rule of the Khomeinists, they're putting in the rule of Islam. And certainly for the ruling class, for the establishment of the Islamist theocratic establishment, they certainly are putting in their interpretation of Islam, which is the dominant, the vastly dominant interpretation of those with money, power, military strength, and control of most of these dictatorships and societies. Now, we can have a debate about whether that is the Islam. There is not one Islam, and it's certainly a dominant version of it, but Can we reform that? (laughs) That We can't even have that conversation when these folks are controlling the mic, the military, the government, the sticks, the knives, and hanging people from cranes if they don't agree with their behaviors, their sexual orientation, their sex, or whatever it might be. But the message here, there's nothing that more epitomizes to me this video this week that came out of Iran That epitomizes more Yes, while the United States is I think doing yeoman's work And heroic work in knocking out Criminals of the century Like Soleimani While we're continuing to push back Against the threat That is Iran's nuclear Aspirations That is their death to America Chance and death to Israel, etc This reality is also underneath protected and founded by an ideology that seeks to destroy anyone who disagrees with their islam and their weakest their weakest point in which they can be defeated is when they make statements like this the video of of women covered in their burqa saying if you don't enjoy the rule of islam in society collect your belongings and leave how often have The left especially. But so many gotten so irritated when liberals in the West, American, Americans, patriots say, you know what? If you don't like democracy, if you don't love America, then leave. But that's by choice. That's by choice. That's not an apologetic for fascism, apologetic for being tortured. Yes, America has its faults. Yes, Western countries and democracies have their faults. But democracy, as Churchill said, is the worst form of government, excluding all others. You hear terms this week thrown around on the Senate floor. People like Jerry Nadler saying that President Trump is a dictator. Now, you can disagree with his personality, with his leadership style, with things he may say or do. But I guarantee you all the people testifying against him would be in interrogation rooms if this, if this had been a... Middle Eastern dictator Or Chinese dictator Communist dictator Or Russian dictator So you can talk about Personality traits of what Trump may say Here or there But to use words like dictator from the Senate floor I think is offensive as a Syrian American Somebody whose family escaped And were political Refugees that came and got asylum Here in America in the mid-60s And I was blessed to have been born here To hear these terms thrown around now, especially after the Arab awakening, as people are beginning to realize that the Middle East is not doomed and destined to be run by dictators for the rest of the world, for the rest of eternity. But it's very different when we say, if you don't like America, leave. Than when the Islamists say, if you don't like Islam... Leave. They mean it, they torture their opponents They kill them, they hang them They disappear them Or they kick them out The Olympian who defected to Germany, I believe The Iranian Olympian has testified that she is nothing That the government cares little, cares nothing Does not even believe their citizens are human That is what she said And she left a life of luxury as an Olympian. I think a lot of these defectors realize, A, they have a ticket out. But B, they also feel guilty because they were living well while the rest of the country is being tortured and fighting for freedom. So when you're looking for a meme that exposes the tyranny of political Islam or Islamism from the Muslim Brotherhood to Wahhabism Saudi Arabia to Islamism and Khomeinism in Iran to the Taliban in Afghanistan, it is this TV hostess in Iran wearing her burqa and her hijab and telling Muslims that they need to accept the Islam of the Iranian regime or leave. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Islamo-fascism, And we must expose it. It's not just about the killing of Soleimani. There's a deeper undercurrent. There's a battle happening. A regime doesn't get on television and tell people to leave unless it is weak. Iran doesn't go back and, and, and throw rockets to empty buildings and then wither back with its tail between its legs unless it's weak. And it is weakened because of multiple things. One is a president that's not appeasing it and sending it billions of dollars in pallets of cash. But secondly, is a people that is rising up in the streets every other day, every day in the hundreds of thousands. We saw this week also Russian ambassador to Lebanon defending Soleimani as a hero, as a fighter for justice. Do we have any doubt how evil Putin's regime is? Do we have any doubt how evil they are inciting with our enemies? People talk about an entente with Russia. Yeah, we don't want to be getting into another deeper cold war with the Russians. I get that. But for those on the left and the right that have said Russia is our friend, or we should find ways to work with them and and both, from Obama to Trump. You've heard verbiage that it's better to as as Obama leaned over and said, I'll be able to work with you after the elections much easier. As he said in two thousand and twelve to Putin. And then we see other things from President Trump now. President Trump's sanctions against Iran, his belligerence and clarity against Iran, I think, has proven that No, he's not obsequious towards the Russians. But again, I do yearn sometimes for the days of Ronald Reagan's clarity about the Russians and what they stood for, as then the Soviet Union fell and the wall fell at the end of Reagan's decade. But make no doubt about it when Russian Ambassador to Lebanon Alexander Zespikin said on Hezbollah TV that Soleiman's killing was illegal and he was a fighter for justice and for the rights of the people. That tells you everything you need to know about Russia. Next story this week was about Jeff Bezos, about Amazon. All of a sudden you saw a story about Forensics has shown that only a day after Jeff Bezos, one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest man on the planet, exchanged phone numbers with MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and they exchanged text messages on WhatsApp, all of a sudden, a A a malware was installed on Bezos' phone and things were downloaded. And you saw reporting that included by the way an activist who talks about liberty and freedom frequently but yet seems to often I think not loud enough Mm -hmm. not say much against the Islamists. Iyad al-Baghdadi has a Twitter line that's rife with apologetics about Khashoggi and anti-Saudi stuff, etc., which I'm no fan of the Saudis. I've been openly quite, quite critical of the Saudis. But listen, when Wahhabist monarchs, tyrants, go up against fake liberals that are Islamist operatives like Khashoggi. I'm not really too interested in who wins that fight. Now, as I've said many times, it's not about the Khashoggi assassination. That's a mafiesque action that we see every day. We hear about every day in the Middle East. But somehow all of a sudden Washington paid attention to this one because he had written for the Washington Post and because of Qatar's connections, etc. And the layers of, of analytic explanations about the connections between the Iran-Qatar-Washington Post access, Washington Post owned by Bezos, versus the Saudi-Trump-Egypt access. It makes for good novels and intrigue. But from the beginning, real journalists like Jordan Schachtel and others, when the Bezos story g- broke, said, wait a minute, if you look at some of the details, we think this is more about his divorce. We think that maybe his ex-wife was in it. And this doesn't have anything to do with MBS and that this is a diversion To continue the story about the victim, the victimization of Qatar's friends and the Washington Post columnist who all of a sudden became a beacon of freedom. when, in fact, his Arabic posts and Twitter were full of anti-Semitism and and, uh, no love loss for Western governments. But again, this isn't to be critical of Khashoggi. That's a whole other topic. But it's to show that journalism is dead. And sure enough, two days after the story breaks this week, Bezos was trending on Twitter. Trending on Twitter that he was a victim of that, that somehow one of the wealthiest rulers on the planet decided to send malware to one of the wealthiest private citizens on the planet. And that doesn't strike you as idiotically one of the most stupid things that could ever be done. And then the story then arose from some other Saudi royals that, well, maybe somebody cloned MBS's ID or took his phone and the royal family and on and on. This is like a bad scene out of some B-movie in Casablanca. And then the story really breaks out the way Many of us had talked about this a year ago when it first broke out that it has nothing to do with the Saudis. It has nothing to do with Khashoggi. (laughs) That ultimately, it then breaks that Bezos' ex-wife released photos through her brother who then gave it to the National Enquirer. They weren't hacked from his phone. The whole hacking thing was a hoax. And this activist I mentioned to you, Yad al-Baghdadi, somehow kept telling the New York Times and others that he has a story. He was the researcher that worked for Bezos. He has his own activist network. And he's the one that has the connections into the Saudi machine. And they've been wanting to kill him for some time. And certainly he's, had some good messaging on Twitter, etc., but this story stunk. And no matter how valuable and how courageous other activities individuals may have are, when you push a story that ends up being an exaggerated bunch of, of diversionary tactics between billionaires... you lose credibility. CNN's Jim Acosta or, or, or one of the reporters was basically openly talking about how Jeff Bezos' phone was hacked by MBS and and how the right dismissed that. Really? Nobody did any real reporting on it. The reports that came out about the Bezos phone query from a from an Intel company a computer software forensic company called FTI was full of well we had a lot of data transmission at this time and that and it looked like there was uh, uh, um, under the surface transmissions there was nothing firm done now the phones are being handed over to the FBI and we'll get the real story but then the next day it breaks that the pictures really didn't come from that transmission they came. From his ex-wife, <laughs> the point for reform. This <laughs> is this is the the nonsense we have. So much intrigue that's real happening in the Middle East between Islamist Brotherhood operatives pre- pre- pretending to be something else, between clerics who are, are, you know, for example, the the Muslim World League cleric is visiting was visiting Auschwitz a few weeks ago. Is it real? Muslim World League was one of the most anti-Semitic, Islamist, Islamo-fascist organizations breeding radicals in the last 50 years. Now they appear to be making a significant shift. I'm all ears. Let's learn. But until they start to reinterpret ideology, until they start to dismiss passages that are interpreted as being anti-Semitic and start reinterpreting certain surahs out of chapter 5 and others. I don't know how much of their prayer at Auschwitz I can believe. I want to believe it. I want to believe that they've turned over a new leaf and believe that will never happen again. But for those of us who have long before before, uh, uh, the monarchs took on the brotherhood in the last two years have been trying to expose the the evil of Islamism. We're also calling attention to the marriage between the monarchical Wahhabism and Islamism. All saying to the point that there's a lot of intrigue in the Middle East. There's a lot of not knowing who your friends are, that just because you have common enemies, we don't know who to trust and who not to. So as we try to figure the real stuff out that makes a difference in ideological reform, these deflections, just because they have intrigue, need to at least be done honestly. CNN reports it, New York Times reports it as a given fact that Bezos' phone was hacked. Maybe it was, but they're not asking enough questions. They're not asking enough questions. last this week, I want to talk about is there a war on Muslims? (laughs) You know, the answer from me is absolutely not. There's a war within Muslims between the Islamists and the non-Islamists. But the Islamists are still pushing until their last breath this notion that the West, that the The world is anti-Muslim. And sure enough on the Ezra Klein show. Mehdi Hassan. A CNN frequenter. An Al Jazeera host with a program called Upfront. Should be called Islamism Upfront. Went on and has been writing now for the Intercept. A a, a pro Russian Islamist propaganda outlet? Frequents people like Glenn Greenwald and other Islamist apologists. He had him on his program, Ezra Klein had him on his program to talk about the world's battle against Muslims and the scope and the scale of the war on Muslims. And he went from real problems like the Rohingyas who are truly on the verge, if not in the midst of a genocide being committed against them by the regime of Myanmar, Burma. Then then they went to India, And across the world to the national movements, nationalistic movements happening in Europe and America and elsewhere. And all of a sudden, the theme, the narrative, the lens was that there's a rise in Islamophobia, the term that not only I reject, but I think is an intentional term induced by, instilled by theocrats like the Islamists of Mahdi Hassan and others to suppress criticism of political Islam and their movements and their platforms. But I think this interview with Klein is important because Ezra represents the left, the red axis. Mahdi Hassan represents the green, the Islamist axis. And this red-green axis is portraying that the world's primary enemy today, because they're nationalist fascists, the, the, the enemy of the fascists across the world is Muslims. And they're saying that Modi's move in India now with their citizenship law that I talked to you about a couple podcasts ago, and then Europe's moves with the shifts in some of the national civilizationalist parties in Germany, France, and elsewhere is all about being anti-Muslim. Oh, and you know Brexit is about being anti-Muslim. And I have to tell you, this is one of the central parts. If you're going to understand how we're going to win internally, we Muslims, and I'm going to start first internally as this discussion, and then extend it to external, outside the Muslim community. First, internal. As we Muslims raise our families in America and Britain and France and the West, and we teach them to be, Americans that happen to be Muslim and embrace the social contract of Americanism and reject the social tyranny of Islamism that I remember at the beginning of the program I told you how the Islamists say you either accept Islam or you leave. The social contract of Americanism is one about accepting the equality of every human being, the aspirations that we all have an American dream that can live up to... Capitalist success to, to loving your neighbors regardless of their faith or no faith or whatever it might be that we are all equal under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights under the U.S. Constitution especially and its Bill of Rights and that we, do, we are not subservient to any other constitution any other book but all of that is under God And to me, there's nothing more Muslim than that. But that's my Islam. But the organization we founded, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, is based on a mission statement that we believe that we need to protect the U.S. Constitution through the separation of mosque and state because its biggest threat is political Islam. But that nidus, that little idea, is the nuclear The nuclear start of every successful cell growth against political Islam is the belief that the unifying element of a nation-state is its social construct of a constitutional democracy based on a document like the U.S. Constitution. Does it have to be only America? No, it could be a British example, a French one. Now we can have our criticisms. I biased as an American... But I do think Americanism that embraces all immigrants equally, that, that is not based in racial history, etc., I think has some elements that make it a little more potent against political Islam. But these movements as the Mehdi Hassans and the Ezra Clines of the world have their little chat fests about the red-green Uh, Unity against political Islam. I'm sorry, for political Islam against the fascist nationalists. And they don't cite political Islam. They want to lump all Muslims into being targeted by these Islamophobes and Islamophobia and the bigots and the racists. Now, my point of conversation here is not to say that there's no bigotry against Muslims. There is point of conversation here is about what's the bandwidth how bad is it and what proportionality is there and from within the muslim community the primary threat to the growth of liberal movements is the regimes of muslims is the billions controlled by the theocrats by the monarchs by the petro-islamic ideologies that are that are stuck in the 13th century or if they're advancing are so slow they're never going to do it in the next 2000 years Because to them, it takes 15 years to get one woman on a city council in a small town in southeastern Saudi Arabia, let alone letting them have freedom of choice, of work, of vote, of involvement, of engagement, of speech, of assembly. That's not happening. So the biggest threat... There's no war against Muslims. There's war against non-Islamists in Muslim societies. And they are working with the red, with the left in Europe and America to put the West on the defense. So that collectivist politics, identity politics then is blind to the reality of the misogyny and homophobia and anti-Semitism and theocracy of the Islamists of Iran and the Wahhabis and the Diobandis of Pakistan. Saudi Arabia of Iran, Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt, etc. So, this is the reality. The war on Muslims. 90 plus percent of it is coming from within. Now, for those from without, what's happening? Well, whether it's Brexit or whether it's the Trump movement or others, there is a Opposite response to the left's collectivist apologetics against Western success, against the success of our economy, of our technology, our militaries. We are so, the left is so ashamed of the success of our countries, they want to blame everything on some of the failed and many unwise policies that existed in the 20th century. Yes, some of the wise policies, like the Cold War successes of as punctuated by Ronald Reagan and others, I think, are intentionally minimized by the left. And then the unwise policies, working with dictators across the Middle East, picking sides in the, the best examples like the Iran-Iraq war. We picked the side of Saddam Hussein against Iran when they were both equally evil. But some of this lesser of two evils picking has continued. And we're doing it again today. And we abandon our allies like we abandon the Kurds and continue to make mistakes that are being used to demonize the West. But the left uses that to say that we are the evil ones. The left uses that to propagandize that, no, the Iranian government is Iran. This is the Iranian people. Why are we to say our government is better? They're not a theocracy. They are just the people of Iran. Nonsense. Nonsense totally untrue. That's not the people of Iran. That's a revolution that went south in 1979 and has since been the demise of the people of Iran. And their liberation will be when they're able to finally defeat and break the power of the Iranian government and its theocrats. But let me end on contextualizing what's happening in the West. The Islamists don't want a strong nation-state. A nation-state gone bad, hyper-nationalism is Nazism, Arabism in the Middle East, etc. So that is just as evil as theocracy. Americanism was the beginning of a nation-state based in liberal democracy that ultimately became the greatest enemy of the hypernational nation-state, of the Nazis and other race-based nation-states. Americanism was about an idea-based nation-state of unified of the people, by the people, and for the people. So now as we see a response to the left self hate and attempt to embrace collectivist movements around the world, the response in the West has been some national movements. And some of it has swung too far hypernationals. But yet, I, as a Muslim that is American, that rejects Islamo nationalism and especially global caliphism which is a unity of various Islamo-national states. I feel the only antidote to Islamo-nationalism is American, German, British nationalism, Canadian nationalism based in a secular, liberal constitution, constitutional republic. So it's not about democracy, it's about a republic with a separation of powers, and as America's founding fathers did, a rejection of theocracy. This is the need. So as you see the Mehdi Hassans and Ezra Klein's debate about how Muslims are victims, they intentionally want to blame it all on national identity movements in the West. When in fact, it's not about national identity, it's about national cohesion through a liberal democracy. And that national cohesion through a liberal democracy is being written about more and more, especially on the right. The left is asleep on this issue. We've seen some books in the past year from some very prominent conservatives come out in defense of nationalism. The Case for Nationalism by Rich Lowry, the in defense of nationalism, The Virtues, there's been a lot of books coming out about it. Why? Because the West is beginning to rediscover and maybe recalibrate what it means by national identity because in the early 20th century, nationalism brought down a lot of wonderful democracies. And they reverted back to some of the worst regimes the world has ever seen with crimes against humanity, the worst that were ever seen with genocide against the Jewish people. With over 6 million Jews perished because of nationalism. But that was Nazism, not nationalism per se, but Nazism. Yes, it was the extremist the war of the extremes as my friend Ryan Morrow keeps talking about as happening right now. there is a war of extremes but let's not also let's be careful in not saying they're mutually identical. The current extreme of jihadism is able to be sprouted from, Wahhabism in Saudi Arabia, from Diobandism in Pakistan, from Khomeinism in Iran, from Islamism and Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, from Western mosques that are Islamist and have hate imams that are preaching. So the font is huge. While white supremacism, yeah, there are some groups, skinheads and others, that may number in tens of thousands, if not more. But to say that those are globally connected with the same theology as jihadism is is I think a bit of an extreme comparison and ends up wasting tons of resources that should be directed at I think the reforms necessary to fight jihadism, political Islam, and its theocracy. So in future programs, we'll continue this conversation, which I think is so central. But no, please know, that when the Mahdi Hassans and Ezra Klein's are having their little love fest between the red-green axis about them pushing back against the nationalists. Reformers need to find some solace in how do we work with the rational nationalists that are about liberalism within that national identity, about how to work in tandem with secularists, feminists, liberals, conservatives, and others that join under a constitution to defeat and fight against theocracy and against hypersecularism, too. France's laïcite policies, the hypersecular policies in France, are in some ways pushing the nationalists into becoming more radicalized. So there has to be a way to marry faith, identity, personally with a national identity that's patriotic. So it's probably better than talking about nationalism, Talk about patriotism and what patriots believe. Call it whatever you want, but if it's a moral good that respects human equality, if it's nationalist or patriotic, I don't care. What you call it. But it can't be fascist. Because at the extreme of fascism, it's basically the same thing as far-left socialism Communism. As always, it's been great talking to you, and I look forward to next week with you. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.